1: I would say it's very cathartic to write down all the nasty thoughts that you're having, you know, and sometimes you're writing with real vigor. (laughs) It's almost like, you know, expressing it through any way, shape or form that you can really helps emit and get rid of those, those negative and toxic feelings.
0: Hey
2: guys, are you tired of having to search for top talent in today's uncertain times? Our guest today is an expert on hiring and retaining top talent. Meet Dana Niger, co-founder at Hive Talent Acquisition Firm and a champion of diversity and inclusion in the workplace. You can expect to learn something new with Dana's insider tips on recruiting the strongest employees by reading between the lines and giving them a chance to shine. Say goodbye to the outdated carrot and stick approach and learn why treating your employees with respect and giving them what they deserve is the key to keeping them around for a long haul. This is a jam-packed show with hiring and employee retention tips. Let's talk with Dana now. Hey, Dana, thanks for being on the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. How are you doing today?
1: Thanks for having me, Tyler. I'm doing really well. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing great too. I'm excited to talk with you. You're uh, recently a published author, which is awesome. But before we get to that, because I have a lot of really cool questions for you, I'd like to talk with you about what do you do? Can you share what you do for a living professionally?
1: Yes, absolutely. I am only a first-time author. So (laughs) since (laughs) prior to that, right, (laughs) I actually co-own Hive Talent Acquisition Firm in Sandy Springs, Georgia. We are a human resources and recruiting consulting firm. And we specialize in the transportation engineering arena, civil engineers, environmental engineers, et cetera, working with different levels of project and program managers, all the way from entry level up into C-suite, both on the public and private side of the sectors. And we also work with individuals as well. So we work with small businesses and come in and act as their HR director, if you will, or their talent director, depending on their needs. And then individual services, we offer resume, rewrite, reformat, creation, interview preparation, and best practices for utilizing free LinkedIn for your job hunt and all the little intricacies of of LinkedIn in between.
2: That's so cool. Before I get into your book, I do want to ask you a question. How does a company know, you mentioned in terms of being part of their HR director, HR system, at what size do you need that type of support? Is there some telltale signs?
1: That's a really good question. Honestly, we work with clients as solopreneurs all the way up into international 24,000, 25,000 plus employee firms, right? So how will you know? That's a really great question. The first and foremost thing that needs to be made aware, it doesn't matter the size of your company. If you feel like you're ready to start upscaling, you need a strong back-end office. And that is truly where we would come in and evaluate, right? So whether you're the solopreneur looking to grow, or you've already got some people on your team and you're looking to grow from there specifically and intentionally, more important than anything is making sure that your policy, your procedure, your compliance is all right, correct, and up-to-date. And that is where we would come in and get you strong with a foundation first, and then we would move forward from there with your needs and phase everything in in a big plan that could last anywhere from six months to 24 months.
2: Wow. And in terms of uh, helping individuals, so you actually, what are the steps in terms of of writing? You just help people prepare the resumes. Do you actually submit them to clients or do you bring those two parties together?
1: That is correct. So we are very specialized here. Although we run the gamut and have clients of all different kinds of industries and arenas, for example, on the board right now, not just transportation engineering stuff, but also several digital marketing firms that we work very closely with looking for all different kinds of aspects there from paid uh, media specialists and organic media specialists and marketing managers and directors of client and customer success and experience, right? Sales roles of all different kinds. FinTech, MarTech, I mean, you name it, we're all over the board. And so what we do with those individuals who are, and there are several kinds of people who tend to come to us, recent graduates or people who are about to graduate, right? From the perspective of, I've got to get ready. People who are transitioning in their careers, perfect example, had a client, individual client of 27 years, people with UPS. I was gonna say USPS, that's not it. With UPS, (laughs) 27 years worked this person's way up from working in the warehouse to senior VP in sales, okay, 27 years, right, and layoffs, it happens, it's happening everywhere all over the world, very sad, scary, and unfortunate, right, from likely in the tech sector due to overhiring, and we can talk about that later if you'd like. So that's a a different kind of individual we work with. And then we also work with people who are either dipping a toe in the water and considering transitions, but on a very confidential basis behind the scenes because they're still currently working. And then there's the fourth individual, the more, more, I don't want to say desperate or needy, but the thirstier candidate that needs a job yesterday kind of thing. I am without a job, it's been this long, whatever the case, and I need to find something. And that's a little bit more of a coaching opportunity there.
2: Very cool. So I do definitely have more questions for you just in terms of, Businesses how they can improve their staffing. And and I know that you have a ton of knowledge. I do want to get your book first, though, because I'm so excited about that. You were kind enough to share the manuscript with me before it had even gone live. It's now gone live, yes. um, which is awesome, on, on your favorite bookstore. I'm going to read the title. It's a little bit long, so be patient with me. Before I knew it, they were gone. A Jewish First-Generation American Woman's Journey Through the Darkness is the name of the book wonderful book. I had told you when I read it, I felt like I was kind of looking into your life. It's a very personal, very open, transparent, honest book. I'd love to start out with, what was it like writing a book? I guess where I would start, like, what was that? I mean, is that something you always knew you were going to write or is it something that evolved and you started writing down things that they were happening? Just take me through that a little bit and share, if you can, a little, up to what you're comfortable, a summary of what it's about.
1: Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you for your feedback, for, you know, you know, being uh, asking to read the book so that you could be prepared. I just, I was so grateful for that and your support. So thank you for that, Tyler. I never fancied myself an author at all. When I was younger, I wrote poetry and I had a little bit of a creative side and did some creative writing, right. Just for school and stuff. Never really personally on my own. And it never really went anywhere. I may have won a contest or two here and there, but nothing major. Right. And that was really more something that my uh, dad pushed me into. And so it wasn't necessarily a passion or a love. This book was an accident, truly an accident. I had journals from all the years of therapy that I had to go through to help heal myself. And I'm still working on my healing process. And the culmination of all those journals turning into a manuscript was all very serendipitous. I would say January of 2022, so last year. I was, it was probably January or February, it doesn't really matter. Beginning of the year, I was, had invested in interviewing and then became a part of an opportunity that was an all female networking event. And it was wonderful. And I met my now good friend, but also my ghostwriter and copy editor, who's also been given credit here on the book, Miss Phyllis Emerell. She's amazing and I love her. Phyllis and I met during that session and took things offline. And like I said, very serendipitous. One thing led to another. And I said, you know, you and I seem to get along really well. I'd love to show you some samples of the journal and see if maybe we could embark on a little journey together. And I told her, I have no interest in making this a real book for purchase, but I would love a manuscript finished. And I felt like it would be a full circle closure that I needed. And she was on board with it. She herself has had different kinds of uh, trauma in her life that she has worked her way through. And we really bonded, right? Six months. It took us to write that manuscript, which I have heard is quite quick. I don't know if that's the case. I actually have quite a few friends. Shameless plug for Amber um, Cabrell, who has several books in the DEI space. Say more about that is the follow-up to her Allies and Advocates, for example. Pretty sure she wrote her first book, Allies and Advocates, in four weeks, if I'm not mistaken. So some people are quick. Some people have words they need to get out, right? But I will say that we we finished the manuscript and Phyllis was so proud of our work that she said, I'd really like to just get some professional opinions. May I have your permission to send this to a few colleagues of mine? Turns out she was sending it to publishers, not behind my back or anything, but really truly to get feedback. One sent it to another who sent it to another. And before I knew it, I had three publishers wanting to talk to me about publishing my book.
2: So I have a question. So when you find out she's sharing this, really, it's a very intimate and transparent Uh, sharing that you do throughout the story. Did that like stop you in your tracks or did you kind of in the back of your mind go, there's a chance this may get into the hands of other people. Yes. Okay.
1: There was that very first thought acts that you really hit the nail on the head. At that point I was like, Oh, a publisher's seen it. Oh, I'm vulnerable now. And then I was like, well, that's fine. I'm used to being vulnerable. (laughs) So whatever happens happens. Right. I never anticipated that I would actually be taking calls with publishers, and then actually making a decision to go with a hybrid publisher. And then since that research started, I was very fortunate, shameless plug again, for my friend Kim McNamara's uh, bookstore in Suwanee, Georgia called Read It Again Books. She was amazing. I sat down with her and we had several conversations about the differences between publishing you know, styles and, and self-publishing and her opinions as a, as a small business and bookstore owner on how that affects affects the bookstore. If you're a self-publisher, very intriguing. And so based on all of this information and the fact that Kim was like, I would love to host you at some point, which blew my mind. I was like, oh, oh my goodness. You know, that could be a thing in like a year or whatever. It is a thing in a year or an <laughs> on February 24th at read it again books in Suwanee, Georgia. I'll be doing an author in residence reading and signing. <laughs> oh,
2: so awesome. One thing that I, as I was reading the book, especially as I got towards the end, it felt like things kind of happen for a reason. And I know that sounds weird. You had a lot of tragedy and you lost three family members in a very short amount of time, but it kind of felt like it. And I don't know, did you intentionally write it this way or is that just your life? It felt like it, it kind of just like things happen for a reason a little bit. There's like that, or it was kind of coming together, if that makes sense. What are your thoughts as you hear my observation?
1: No, your observation is spot on. So the way that I honestly look at it after having read the final manuscript, which you have to read them in case you didn't know millions of times for editing purposes. So you really get to know your book and pages and all that. I honestly didn't realize that everything sort of flowed together in a situational meant to be type thing. Like if one thing hadn't happened, then another might not have happened. And honestly, my husband and some close girlfriends of mine talk about that all the time. Would I even be here in this moment if it wasn't for unfortunately some of the very sad you know, and traumatic things that had happened.
2: Right. Yeah. No, that it's interesting. So take us through a little bit of what you can share, maybe on a top level, but some of the parts of the book that, for example, I mean, the losing of your family members that happened in a very short amount of time, I think was, was about three years where first, I believe it was your dad, then your mom, and then your brother.
1: It was actually a year for my parents. Yeah. They had the same death anniversary. They do. So they were literally, they passed a year apart, literally on the same day, just hours apart from when the other one did. So that was a little bizarre, but also unique. My mother was the one to pass last. My father passed first. And so my mother was going to pass last. And she actually said, I'm going to join your dad. We're going to be in love again in heaven. You know, that kind of thing. She's Like I can't do this anymore. Right. Kind of thing. And, and so that was sort of the way that it was. And then my, my brother was some years later, he was in 2010. Okay. My parents were in 2020 and 2021. Yeah. So there were a little bit of a difference in, in, and years there, but regardless, when you realize you're an orphan and you're yeah. in your twenties, right. It's, yeah. That is one of the strangest places to be. It's pseudo adulthood. You don't, know what you don't know. And I was very transparent, as you already know, Tyler, because you read the book from the perspective of, I was born and raised in West Los Angeles. I come from a life of privilege. I'm very aware of that. I'm white, even though I'm Jewish. So I'm semi part of a marginalized people, but you know, so what? And it was challenging to read those words over and over to share those words over and over. But at the same time, The whole book came together. And now I realize this is so not about me anymore because I'm on my journey towards healing and breaking through the barriers that I once had. Now, this is about getting the book out there because there are plenty of other people in this world. And it doesn't matter if it's a trauma from loss, a trauma from some kind of abuse, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, any trauma, anything, right? We must heal. If we don't, those traumas will manifest in some awful way because our brains try to. I guess, protect us, if you will, from things that are happening. And sometimes our brains don't always protect us in the mental health awareness space.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I do want to talk about that just in terms of like, what does, when it comes to mental health, Mm. do you have some advice? Cause you've been through a lot. Like we all, in fact, one thing I love about the book is you get towards the end. I can tell you spent a lot of time on this. You provide so many resources, of different organizations and things that people can do whether it be I mean there's a whole litany of things it's not just mental health it's all kinds of different vices and and challenges and suicide i mean there's everything's there i mean thank you what do you do in terms of mental health do you have any words of wisdom there or things that you could share when when we are faced with challenges and adversity
1: yeah yeah so again don't want to sound too cliche but
2: sure.
1: manifestations and you know meditation is huge The brain is a powerful tool as we're kind of all told, but until you really sit and focus multiple times a week for, you know, you'll start off slow, five, 10 minutes that you can handle breaking into 30 plus, you know, into an hour. If you can actually do it for more than an hour and you're you're heading towards two or even three hours, it's, it's physically and mentally exhausting. But what you're doing in that space is you are healing yourself. Your brain is capable of these things. And another shameless plug that I'll go ahead and add in is Dr. Joe Dispenza's book about rewiring your brain. My husband and I embarked on that journey together to help save our marriage, to help save me, (laughs) to help save our family. And we rewired our brains and we are quite thrilled with the work that we've done. And, And Dr. Joe Dispenza himself has, you know, communicated with us. He doesn't just leave you hanging, you know, if you decide to to email him, he's a wonderful man. And the support there from the book and from his workshops, et cetera, are a huge helping start in that way. I know I can sit here with you and say, okay, whatever, I'm a white Jewish female, you know, and you two can do this. Not everyone can do it. I completely understand. So for the people who are just like, whatever, I don't have the capacity or don't want to try, you know, manifestations and, and meditation, just deep breathing. I would say deep breathing is a huge part of it. Private by yourself and let your emotions out. Again, private by yourself. I'm not saying you have to walk down the street crying and breathing, but I usually do it in a shower because of the whole visible activity of my tears leaving and going down the drain and going away, right? And I have learned from these trainings and from this um, meditation and from the love of my husband and support there, to be perfectly honest. It is okay to show emotion. It is okay to cry. And if you don't, it comes out in other ways that are not positive. And, and that was part of what was happening in my marriage.
2: Wow. Now you mentioned journaling. Have you always journaled or did that start when your parent to when you lost your parent? Or was that something you always did?
1: I had a diary when I was a kid, if you really wanted the truth, like elementary school, you know, kind of diary, but no, I was not a journaler really, truly until I lost my first parent Uh, This between, I guess it was my junior, my sophomore and junior year of college. When my father passed, that was when I got into what you would consider therapy, right? Counseling, shameless plug for Agnes Scott. They set me up (laughs) with a counselor, one of the professors at the school. I don't want to embarrass him or say his name, but I will say thank you (laughs) because he really set me on a path. Towards healing and then saw him again for another year after unfortunately my mother passed a year after that. And then when I graduated, there were many years where I felt I thought I was okay. And so I wasn't seeing anybody. And then the journaling started again when my brother died. So I journaled after my father, journaled after my mother, stopped each time, took almost like an eight or nine-year hiatus. When my brother passed, I started again.
2: So it did the journaling play a role in your therapy, would you say, in terms of just being able to get it out?
1: I would. I would say it's very cathartic to write down all the nasty thoughts that you're having, you know, and sometimes you're writing with real vigor. (laughs) It's almost like, you know, expressing it through any way, shape, or form that you can really helps emit and get rid of those, those negative and toxic feelings.
2: Yeah. I love how you said you had gaps because as someone that tries to journal and I always fall off the wagon or on the wagon, whatever the saying is. And I stop and I but then there gets to be things happening in my life where I just want to let it all out. And it's not necessarily tragic things. It's just things are on my mind and I want to just kind of put it somewhere where it just feels like I'm dumping it. And it is very therapeutic, but I, I love how you said you kind of have gaps because that's kind of the way I am. I I tend to sometimes get into a motive where I find it very effective. And other times it's just nothing, there's nothing I really need to say.
1: I think when we force ourselves to do something, you're not getting the authentic you coming through, which is a huge thing these days, thank goodness. And and that's one of the things that I love about journaling and about talking about journaling. Not necessarily talking about what you're journaling about, but talking about the fact that more and more people these days are in fact journaling. Hey, if you're really the one to know the truth, these younger generations of hip hop artists, rappers, singers, songwriters are quite the lyricists. You know, back in the day, you could point out lyricists on your hand and be like, this is different because these days there's all kinds of, of great, fabulous work coming out. And part of it is because I'm sure these, these I don't want to say children, but some of them aren't necessarily adults yet. But so from children to, to young adults to adults, they are creating what's in their head. They're putting it on paper. And I think it's making them naturally feel better.
2: Right, right. In your book, at one point when you started to get into recruiting, you you had a recruiting job. And I believe you interviewed for another job and your current employer found out that you were interviewing somewhere else and they either fired you or essentially fired you or you had a separation, they weren't happy about it. Yeah. What were you feeling? I wanna know that story a little bit and then talk with you about in terms of today, what were you feeling when, when they kind of called you out on that and said, hey, you're looking somewhere else, you shouldn't be here then what were your thoughts?
1: Absolutely. That was towards, I guess, the beginning, middle of my career. It was one of the opportunities that I was so excited about and was with that firm for, you know, three years or so, and then realized, okay, I've done agency side. I'd like the opportunity to expand my experiences and gain skills on the corporate side of recruiting and was in fact interviewing and unfortunately went to a lunch. It was a final interview and the lunch lasted two hours. So I came back to the office after time that, you know, it looked like it took a two hour lunch, basically. It wasn't a good thing. <laughs> and so one of the owners did call me in his office after having a conversation with a teammate of mine and basically said, You can get your shit and go. I mean, those were his exact words. And I looked at him like, Really? That's how we're doing one of our top revenue, you know, bringing in people on the team? Okay, I'm going to go. I mean, if you're not wanted, why fight to stay? I didn't right. think that I wasn't going to be able to find another opportunity. And I was already on this path. And I will say, now that I own my own firm and I've been a manager and a leader and I'm in leadership, you know, I have never forgotten how that made me feel. And I would never make someone feel that way. I would never put an employee, a teammate, you know, a colleague of mine in a situation like that. I would say, you want to go, you should, you know, good luck to you. Who am I to hold you back? And as a matter of fact, stay here and work until you find that position, <laughs> you know, like right. whatever. I mean, it, just, it never occurred to me. <laughs>
2: Do you think there's a changing of times though? I, You know, I mentioned to you prior to starting this interview is, mm-hmm. you know, I had a guest not too long ago and his philosophy, and you see this a lot in leadership nowadays, it's like, hey, if you've gotten everything you can get where you're working now, More power to you. Go get some more skills. Go somewhere else. Maybe we'll cross paths again. Where do you think is, do you think that's more of a modern way of looking at things? Or do you think that was just this individual? Or what are your thoughts around that? If someone doesn't want to go somewhere else?
1: No, I do think that's a more modern way and more power to that that guest that you had or that person you were speaking to because here's the thing. Again, everyone's going to do what's best for themselves and the loyalty aspect while appealing, let's be honest, everyone is going to do what's best for themselves in all things at all times. The only way that you can you know, overachieve beyond that, and, and perhaps even solidify something is to force someone into a contract. And that is not, and it never has been me or my business partner at Hive Talent Acquisition Firms mentality on team membership, right? We run things and our managerial styles are very different. And to be perfectly frank, it has not worked out for every employee that we've had, right? Some people really require a lot of structure and a lot of hands-on mentoring. Our business is we're in our sixth year. We're still in a startup mode phase. We have we survived the pandemic, even though it was very challenging for small businesses. You know, and so we're doing something right. But at the same time, we've had interns turn into three plus year, you know, employees and team members who have moved on since. We've had interns never, you know, make it through the internship and didn't want to work for us for various reasons. I mean, you know, we've had all kinds of things happen. And I, I will simply say, Yes, it is more modern, but this is the way that things are going. That old white male, sorry, (laughs) corporate mentality (laughs) of command and control, right? With the carrot on the stick and I'll pay you and I'll give you bonuses after you meet my standards is bullshit, Tyler. It's total crap. We don't do that. We are more of a trust and inspire type environment, which that's a Stephen Covey book, Trust and Inspire. Shameless plug again. I'm, I'm putting all the good word, good reading out there today, aren't I? <laughs> and, and Trust and Inspire expresses that leadership naturally rises from within when you ask your teammates their opinions and you listen to their thoughts and you listen to their needs, wants, and desires, right? Yeah. So we walk into meetings with our team at Hive and we say, So what do you want to talk about today? So how do you think we should handle that problem or concern, right? And and we brainstorm together. I let our leadership rise and do their own thing from that perspective because I personally don't have time, nor do I want to be the sole person making decisions. It's all about fresh perspective. If I'm the only one making decisions, that is not anything but discriminatory. Honestly, at this point, I can't be the only one doing it, right? And I can't have everyone else doing it look like me for that matter.
0: If you're a business owner feeling stuck in your business, overwhelmed, responsible for everything that happens and working long hours, Tyler helps his clients develop processes, hire high-performing team members and better understand their financial metrics and numbers to allow for a more predictable, less hands-on business. To schedule a free, no pressure consultation, head to thinktyler.com and click the meeting button. Tyler would love to see if he can help you work on your business, not in your business. Schedule a consultation today at thinktyler.com.
1: with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It's all about fresh perspective. If I'm the only one making decisions, that is not anything but discriminatory. Honestly, at this point, I can't be the only one doing it, right? And I can't have everyone else doing it look like me for that matter.
2: Right, and the way I always looked at it, if you're the only one making the decisions, the organization is only as good as you, and that's not a knock on you, and it's not a knock on me. People bring fresh perspectives or different perspectives or experiences that, and maybe this falls in discrimination experiences that we've never had. And so, when you get these other inputs, it just it's the sum of things, right? It's it's putting the sum of everybody together that may, is what potentially makes it so wonderful and great. I agree. So I I love your philosophy on that. Hey, I wanted to, before I get away from the book, last thing I want to say about the book is I love how you sprinkle quotes throughout the book. And one in particular spoke to me. I love quotes. I'm a big quote person, but I love the one that you put. It's never too late to be what you might have been. And it's by George Eliot. I, I just felt like, wow, that, you know, a lot of us, feel it's too late. You know, I'm kind of later in my career. And we think sometimes, oh, well, we can't do this or we can't do that for whatever reason. So I thought that was like a really powerful quote. Is there anyone, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but are there any quotes in there or anything maybe even that you said that you really just kind of just sticks with you as being powerful?
1: So yes, (laughs) I yeah, you did put me on the spot, but it's all good.
2: Sorry, I'm sorry. You're
1: fine. I'm an old jock. I played three sports, the division three, but nevertheless at Agnes Scott College, and I'm still very proud of that. And I am very sports and and teamwork and teammate oriented, and so obviously the sports themed quotes are some yeah, of my favorites, yeah. and and those are the ones that I use.
2: Those are I'm a great. Huge,
1: yeah, huge Pat Summitt fan, huge Vince Lombardi yeah. fans. Those are in there.
2: Yeah, there there's several, you have several good ones. You know, I always love a lot of books have quotes, and sometimes I'll read them and I just don't identify with them. The sports ones, I agree with you. There are a lot of really cool ones. Okay, so I'm going to switch gears. Let's start with Hyde. Hive Talent Acquisition Firm. Where did How did you get the name Hive? Where does that come from?
1: My business partner, Veronica Jenkins, came up with that. She's in the shower and has a a body wash. I know, I would swear this was saying totally PG, totally PG, but she was using this body wash and it was a, a honey scented body wash. And in her life with some of her friends and colleagues, she'd always been known as a queen bee. And funny enough, with some of my Parisian cousins, I am known as our queen bee. And we were like, we're the Hive. We are a working, living organism that is ever adjusting, right? That's who we are. And she came up with that and
2: I loved it. I love it. It's got a cool factor. Let's uh, make some business owners and entrepreneurs out there, including myself, better. What can we be doing? You mentioned the word overhiring. I thought that was interesting. We were talking, we just, you know, dabbled into the layoffs and stuff and overhiring. What are your thoughts around overhiring? We're seeing a lot of layoffs right now, a lot of things going on. Share what you're thinking about that.
1: Absolutely. It's sad. It's unfortunate. I feel for all of these people. So many of them are in very precarious situations. Some of them, thank goodness, do have, you know, little bits of cushion or have were able to find new jobs. But regardless, we've got hundreds of thousands of people. I think we're almost, if not close to over 200,000 layoffs, you know, already have happened in this new year and we're not even in February yet. And the reason the tech industry in in particular is is being hit so hard by these layoffs is unfortunately because tech startups start fast. I mean, everybody knows that. And so hiring is a very important aspect of growth. The problem is tech startups usually start up with an obscene amount of capital. I'm jealous. (laughs) We can go into that later. Right. A seen amount of capital, and so they've got you know millions of dollars to play with as far as salaries, and they overhire whether it's on purpose or by accident. But it doesn't fit with the revenue schemes and budgets. And so what ends up happening is you become top heavy with your people, and your budget and your revenue are are not valued appropriately. And you get to a point where in order to make your company look profitable, you got to let thousands of people go. And unfortunately, that's what's happening right now. The way to avoid that is to scale. Appropriately, right? Not to let all those millions of dollars think that they're going to catch fire if you don't hire somebody, right? So these are some of the, and this is a very general statement. So I sure. really don't want any of your listeners to come after either of us with, "No, she's wrong." That's some of them. Very general statement, of course. Yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so now, typical small to medium sized business, are we seeing business owners now have more? choices in terms of hiring people? Is that starting to show up in the marketplace or is it still a very competitive marketplace? What are you seeing?
1: That's interesting. So anything that I say, it's so funny how incredibly crazy this market is right now because I'm about to say something and within five minutes it could be total BS again, right? right? right, So with a grain of salt, I will say several things. Last year with the whole great recession and the great firing and whatever everybody was calling everything, right? It was a very, very scary time. At this point in the new year, it's hilarious how many jobs are supposedly available versus how many layoffs are happening in a particular sector. And I would say there has been a switch. There has been a switch, but we won't necessarily feel it until the summer of this year. But yes, there's been a significant switch. There there are way more candidates available now for the opportunities than there are opportunities. There used to be way more opportunities then there were candidates available. So this is a good market for job seekers, not necessarily the best market for hiring, right?
2: What can we do? So, you know, we have a lot of, Employees that have probably been laid off from larger companies. I know in my area, Google. If you go to TikTok, it's like it seems like every one of my TikTok videos is someone at Google that's been there for 15 years and been laid off. Right. Facebook. I haven't heard too much about Apple, but pretty much all the the major companies seem to have been laying these people off. Yep. Do they make good candidates for the medium to small size business or? Are we generally looking for people that are outside of that big company vibe? What's your feeling on that? And I know this is just disclaimer. This is everybody's going to have a different opinion, but I'd love to just know your thoughts around this when you're kind of working with clients and what they're looking for.
1: I appreciate the disclaimer. I would say very transferable skills. And that's part of the issue that people seem to be having these days as far as both sides, right? The hiring and then the candidates looking. So from the perspective of hiring, yeah, I would definitely be far more open-minded. And we at Hive are definitely consulting with our clients to be more open-minded The person may not be the best fit on paper at first, but read between the lines, right? If you're looking for someone who's loyal and you're looking for someone who's got certain skills that are not trainable, but then there are some trainable opportunities in there, right? These transferable skills will make excellent employees and and teammates to everything. Read between the lines, look and see what they're doing in their you know, in their communities locally, are they volunteering? That means they care about more things than just themselves, right? And you want someone like that. Go deeper. Don't just reduce a human being to a piece of paper. That that never gets you anywhere. And if I may be so bold as to add in here, stop underpaying, pay people what they're worth. It's, it's a living wage, you guys, like, please, right? Like, stop thinking you can get what is it that everybody's saying these days? You know, champagne level candidate for, you know, Miller Lite prices. It's just not going to work out. Oh, It's just not going to work out. If you don't pay people what they're worth in the beginning, you're not going to ever have loyalty, first of all. And that's on you, not on them. Everyone's always saying from the business owner or hiring manager perspective that it's it's never on me. It's always on the people who don't perform. But why weren't they performing? Did you set them up for success or failure? right? Did you train them? Did you show them any sort of love towards their own employee development? These are all things that we have to do. If you don't have the time to do that, you shouldn't be hiring.
2: Right, right. Yeah. And it's, you know, even if you do get someone that's maybe I don't want to say desperate, but they're at a point in their career where they will take less money. You're just kind of setting yourself up for not a long relationship. And then you're dealing with turnover, which is additional cost because you have to retrain someone to reintegrate someone.
1: Absolutely.
2: Yeah. It's it's adequately compensating people is huge.
1: Well, there's another side to
2: that. What's the, yeah. Share. Please share. Yeah. Please share.
1: There's another side to what you just said, which was great. I appreciate you bringing that up. And the other side is paying your employees and teammates too much to stay, right? Because you don't want to have to replace them. And so you give them some obscene amount of money. The problem there is for that particular candidate, you're stuck there now and you're not going to be able to leave because I always consult and tell people, you know your worth ahead of time, you know what your your general market mean and and you know paying, you know, the quality of life, et cetera, all of that works for you. But you (laughs) you can't you can't Except that okay, so someone quibbling over a few thousand dollars—that's not what we're talking about. Right. We're talking about someone who's within a range of let's say eighty-five to ninety-five thousand, and they get offered one hundred thirty thousand dollars. No one's going to be able to match that if you really can't take it in six months still. And why couldn't you take it in the first place? It's not about money, people. If you accept that one hundred thirty thousand, and you're really only at an eighty-five to ninety-five level in your experience. You'll be stuck at that firm with that job, with those people that you don't like for a really long time.
2: Right, right. So what do you advocate? Like, so if, because a lot of people are going to be, you know, hey, I'm just going to take the most money I can get. You're saying, make sure you balance everything out before you make that decision. Is it the right culture? Is it the right, do you want to grow your skills? For example, is that important to you? So I think what you're saying is kind of scorecard before you just let the money lead you. Is is that a fair?
1: Listen, money is great plenty of people will take the money but what you fail to see again is first of all you either told your hiring manager or your owner or you know whoever someone on that team you know that you're not happy and satisfied so they already know that's a red flag this person is not happy not satisfied whatever possibly going to leave you're going to be the first one on the chopping block if they have layoffs or need to let people go they're going to remember that fact so what's the point you were already not interested in staying for whatever your reasoning was So, set up yourself for success somewhere new by exactly that asking very intentional, open ended questions about the culture, about the group you're going to be doing. What's expected of you short term and long term, right? Going in your first 30, 60, 90 days, and then long term after three years, right? How are you going to help grow me? Does this firm or company offer reimbursement opportunities toward continued education? And that could be licensing, certifications continued degrees, courses, et cetera, right? These are the things that actually matter these days to the generations after mine, which is Generation X, right? So millennials, zennials, and alphas, they want to get paid for what they do and what they've accomplished and what they bring to your table. And they'll stay loyal if you pay them what they're worth. When you undercut people these days, they know, okay? There are plenty of consultants out there doing what we do, but we specifically like to work with people of color, Because let's be honest, people of color tend to not necessarily put their self-worth ahead. They have been beaten down their entire life and career for various reasons and various times, unfortunately. And so they're willing to make these concessions to get a foot in the door. So in those kinds of consulting situations, when we're talking with these people, I do make sure to say, you know, hey, that's great. I appreciate that you're willing to take a bit of a pay cut. My personal professional opinion there is nobody should. Okay. You've earned it this far and you want to keep progressing forward unless someone shows you a clear upward mobility path, a trajectory that's upward. And it's a tiny bit of a pay cut. That's not really going to affect your budget. That is acceptable. If you choose to do that, that's your choice. Right. But otherwise, no, 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 no backward steps, no pay cuts onward and up.
2: Yeah. Great advice. Great advice. Hey, I feel like I could talk with you all day about <laughs> employment and good staffing and And helping people. I wanna segue to uh, one of my final questions. I love to always ask if you have a business or a life tip along your journey that you could share with us that we could apply and might make us better in our day to day lives.
1: Oh, I appreciate that. I would say empathy, kindness, and empathy. We are so lacking in that these days. And um, when I have conversations with all the various kinds of people and clients and this and that, the most important thing is that active listening, right? be that sounding board, allow someone to really give you their story. So they open up to you, you open up to them. I'm not saying you have to share your story and your personal stuff, but if someone's opening up to you, you need to, you need to be appearing like you are listening and you are hearing that person, make space for that person and work together, collaborate, you know, think of that person when things come up where you can work together, right? Network, my goodness, network. (laughs)
2: <laughs> love it. Good stuff. Empathy, I love. Networking. Everything you've just, this whole show, I think you've broke a record for dropping names of resources. It demonstrates your ability to network. So I love it. So hey, your website, and I'll put this in the thinktyler.com show notes. Your website, hivetaf.com, that stands for Hive Talent Acquisition Firm. Uh, in the website hive taf.com your book is on whatever uh, major retailers uh, that sell both there's kindle version and then there's a paperback before i knew it they were gone a jewish first generation american woman's journey through darkness highly recommend it great book yeah beautiful you're showing the cover right now very cool cover thank you if people wanted to reach out to you other than what i just went over is there anywhere else you'd like them to go
1: Yes. Oh, thank you so much. I am also on LinkedIn. Please feel free to connect with me if you're on LinkedIn. My network is yours. And then I just launched today, uh, January 26th, dananiger.com, which is my separate from Hive Talent Acquisition Firm. It's my own website branding the book as well as my speaking engagements. If you need me to come speak or you would like to be considered for an opportunity for keynote speaking, speaking engagements, I do all different kinds of opportunities and it would be my pleasure.
2: What are some of the topics you typically speak on? I believe DEI is one, is that correct?
1: It is, yes. DEI and J, diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice. Absolutely. All different kinds of trainings from leadership and sexual harassment and misogyny, right? You know, just anything that, you know, is necessary from those perspectives. I speak on uh, being a Jewish woman. I speak on being a reformed Jewish woman. I speak on being involved in those kinds of things and anti-Semitism I speak on all things associated with human resources and recruiting or talent acquisition. And I also speak a little bit now on loss and trauma and how to deal with your healing.
2: Very cool. Well, Dana, thanks for sharing your story. Love your book. Thanks for being a guest on the show. Uh, Hopefully we'll talk again in the future. And uh, thanks again for sharing everything.
1: Thank you, Tyler. I love you. You're great. Your show is amazing. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me.
2: Okay, take care. Take care.